As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 105 of Real Blend, a podcast that is ready to break down all 214 hours of last night's Oscar telecast. I am going to be the <laughs> crotchety old man today uh, and let you guys know that I am dog tired. Uh, the day after the Oscars is uh, a grind. And, it's uh, funny you mentioned that, though. What did it was it really long? Because like I'm also weirdly exhausted today. And it's not that I don't stay up till 11 at night. Sometimes right. I do, but like I, I'm just weirdly tired right now. I'm worn I'm down in the same by, boat. Yeah, it's, I think I'm just worn down by this entire Oscar season. So why don't we put a button on it, huh? Let's turn the page on the Oscars uh, and get to our reaction to all of the winners from last night's Academy Awards. Uh, on today's show, we're going to react to the Oscars and settle our friendly wager. One of us did far better than the other two. Uh, there are a ton of movies coming out this week to discuss if we've seen any of them and no guest this week. So you're just going to get all three of us uh, talking about the Academy Awards. But we are going to play um, a blend game based on Jim Carrey. I've, saw, I've seen a lot of people on social media already participating with hashtag Jim Carrey blend. But before we dive into the official 105th episode of Real Blend, let me introduce you to my other co-hosts. Well, first off, I'm Sean O'Connell, the Managing Director of Cinema Blend, and I am joined by Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kevin. How are you, sir? Good afternoon, Sean, Jake, <laughs> Gabe. How are you guys? Uh, I, too, am very tired, and then uh, we'll get into why uh, shortly. Yes, we will. The other exhausted member of the podcast is Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jake. It, you know, it just feel, it feels like the day after a marathon. Like we we just we ran what twenty six plus miles, right. and uh, and it's done. And uh, yeah, and now it's we're just, gonna, it's just exhausting. We're gonna break it on down, and then we're gonna get right into next season's uh, Oscar picks. By yeah, no joke, <laughs> predicting what the best picture nominees are. Okay, a few uh, plugs. And things that we need to uh, keep track of because the show is growing and growing and growing. Uh, we have a community page over on Facebook that a lot of people are, are very active in. Uh, there's always a ton of fun conversations going on on the Facebook community page that the Blender family is weighing in. They did a lot of Oscar talk. 
They're dropping polls uh, in there all the time and, and weighing in on different movie topics. So head over there to the Facebook page uh, and search for Real Blend Podcast Community. In addition, if you prefer your uh, podcasts on YouTube for whatever reason, we are now posting on Cinema Blend's YouTube page. So if you'd rather stream the show there, head over to youtube.com backslash Cinema Blend and subscribe. I also should point out that I do some reaction videos and I'm going to start doing them for uh, Westworld before we get into uh, episode or season three of Westworld because I haven't yet watched that yet. And of course, we're available on all of your favorite podcast apps. So if you haven't already subscribed, please do so and tell a friend, more, most importantly, tell a friend about the show because that's exactly how we're growing out. This community is people who love movies are letting their other movie-loving friends know. Uh, if you don't see us on your favorite podcast app, let producer Gabe know and he will get on it. You can uh, find him on social media or just send an email to realblend at cinemablend.com. Boys, we did a weekly poll. And we waited for the uh, Oscars to be over. And then we asked the question in the dead of night last night, did the right movie win Best Picture? And I told you that one of the votes, yes or no, uh, got 69%. Kevin, which one do you think got 69%? Yes, no question. It's yes. Jakey? Yeah, I think, you know, just, just in this... Uh, last few weeks, I've seen such a surge in love for uh, for Parasite. I think it's just because it's available on digital and people are discovering it. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the public is reflecting what happened with the Academy is in, in a late push of love for this movie. You are both correct. Uh, 69% of the people voting said that Parasite was the correct choice uh, for the Academy to award Best Picture. So why don't we just start there? Uh, the end of the evening... Parasite ends up taking the two biggest Oscars, uh, director and picture. Uh, even leading into it, I still didn't necessarily know where we were going. Um, that editing win for Ford Ferrari was very surprising. Um, the screenplay win for Taika was a little bit uh, surprising as well, too. But then when Parasite won original screenplay, it started to feel like momentum was shifting a little bit. But something that, that Jake just brought up about the industry loving that movie I go back to, and again, in hindsight, you know, you can look at the tea leaves and say, oh, all the signs were there. That standing ovation at the Screen Actors Guild was everything. I, yeah, Kevin might have said it at the time, and I think you're 100% right, because the actors are the biggest body, and they just seem to love Parasite, man. They were well, all in on this movie. And I also mentioned it was interesting because, like, all these factors were there. And it's so interesting to me because how I still didn't predict Parasite, because I think I was just so used to the old school way the Oscars give best picture. And you would think, oh, 1917 feels like that 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 Oscar movie. Um, and I think it's 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 because of so many years of being disappointed by the Academy that I just figured there's no way they're going to change or do something different or outside the box. And yeah, but that SAG standing ovation was one of the one of the signs. The second thing to me, as I told you guys when we recorded a couple weeks ago, when we were at the Critics' Choice Awards, and I'm sitting at the Joker table, and Parasite is announced, and they are freaking out about Parasite, and I'm yeah. like, I have never seen that before. Um, so it's funny, yeah. You mentioned like hindsight is 2020. I can't believe based on those three or two signs that I still didn't go with uh with parasite but I, I i think i've just been burned so many times by the oscars in regards to them not choosing the film that i think deserves it i just figured they were gonna go with the safe choice well and you know what's really funny too in hindsight because i agree with you about that the fact that 1917 just feels like the oscar movie and yet it walks away with three relatively under the radar 
wins uh, best visual effects, best sound mixing. These are almost ones that just get handed to the blockbusters, right? The Transformers of the world, yeah. Uh, which is why they're allowed to call themselves Oscar winners. Of course, it gets cinematography uh, for Deacons at that point, but that's just kind of funny. Like for for years, that man struggled to get recognized, <laughs> and here he wins two in a short period of time. So, no, I was just saying we live in a, we live in a world now where 1917 has a visual effects office, uh, Oscar over Avengers Endgame. Just think about that for one yeah, second. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I think what excites me though about uh, this movie winning Best Picture because I because yeah, I think it's fair to say that all three of us liked Parasite, but none of us maybe crossed that threshold into love. Um, yeah. So I had a lot of people coming up to me today going like, "Oh, are you upset that it won Best Picture?" And I went, "No," because if you know, if if a hundred people out there who never would have watched a foreign film, a film in a in a in a language other than the language in which they speak are now maybe a little bit more willing to pop in the DVD and go, you know what? Let me give it a shot. Let me, let me watch a movie that I have to quote unquote read. And, and maybe, you know, and, and, and I think that, that it's going to open it up to a lot of people. You know, I, I will never forget the point that Alfonso Cuaron made when he won best director last year, which is every film is a foreign film to someone, mm-hmm. to someone out there, star Wars and Raiders of the lost Ark and back to the future are all foreign films. And, People in other countries don't have a problem watching films made in America or made with, you know, in the English language and reading subtitles. And we seem to be the only country that really has to get over that, as, as Bong Chun Ho calls it, the, the one inch uh, hurdle. And I really think, hopefully, uh-huh. this uh, movie being the first time that, that a, a, a non-English language film has won in 92 years, I think um, whether, whether I wanted it to win or not, it's in my eyes, nothing but a good thing. Yeah. And for me, I, I- I've been, I've been thinking a lot about the the win specifically because of what the win means. And it's interesting because now that I look back on it, I, I think 1917, I'm happy Parasite beat 1917. And the reason being is that while Parasite wasn't in my top 10 of the year, it is a film that wins and sets a precedent that maybe the Academy will start understanding that a quote unquote best picture can come from any genre any country, uh, we are in, there is a specific type of Oscar movie that is out there. Anytime you watch a trailer for a movie, you can go, oh, that's an Oscar film. And I don't want that to be the case anymore. I want action films and comedies and horror films to be able to play in the same sandbox in the best picture category as a quote unquote Oscar movie. Um, now, while I don't necessarily love Parasite, it is enough outside of the box. I love the black comedy element of it. I love that it, it is a different type of film to win Best Picture. So in my opinion, looking at the Oscars last night, I'm excited for the future of the Academy based on that win. Do I do I really think Parasite was the best movie of the year? I do not. Uh, but I understand what that precedent. So maybe five years from now, Maybe a horror film wins Best Picture. Maybe a comedy wins Best Picture. Maybe a uh, you know an action film can win Best Picture. Maybe maybe Mad Max would have had a better shot if it came out five years later. I mean, you, you got to think about what this is going to do as a domino effect. But then you can kind of rewind back and take two seconds and look at Moonlight. Did Moonlight change anything? And that's an interesting question because then you go to the year after that and you have Green Book winning. So I think the big question now is we need to move forward with it and actually get this change to go into effect and not just go, oh, that was last year. Now this year happens. We need to look at this as an opportunity to open our minds up to what a quote unquote best picture is. And the beauty of a foreign language film winning, and I'll end on this, is 
like Jake was saying about the Alfonso Cuaron line, you think about, you know, him saying that Jaws or these films were foreign language films to him. Movies are universal, universal. That language that movies speak to all of us, it doesn't matter what language the film is in. They're all telling stories that are relevant to us as human beings. And I think Parasite was so beloved because while it was a Korean film, it still spoke to a lot of people who lived in our country um, in regards to class systems. So um, the beauty of Parasite winning is that no matter what the language is, the film still speaks the same language to its audience. And that's the cool part about it. The language is cinema. And, and Jake, you've been saying this entire time too, that it like the rules didn't matter this season. You know, the things that you pointed to that said, Oh, it can't do this because of this reason or that reason. Those are all sort of being cast aside as we went into it. I I don't know how much of this was a reaction um, to green books win. I don't know if the pendulum swings that quickly. With the Academy, you know, did Green Book win because Moonlight won the year before it? Did did Parasite win because Green Book won the year before it? I don't know. But I I mean, we do. You read these stupid um, anonymous ballots and people's uh, motivations for why they vote are often reactionary or are rooted in something ridiculous um, like, you know, oh, Greta Gerwig made a great film, but I shouldn't have to pay attention to the timelines on a scorecard. You know, um, these criticisms come out of nowhere and it's really hard to predict. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's insanity to try to track what the Academy's going to do year to year. Uh, but I was I, I still I guess I still even today still feel kind of shell shocked um, by the surprise that uh, a foreign language film, which to me, I always just felt that the Academy was never going to break through that invisible barrier of saying we gave you a, an Oscar in that category. I think it's wrong because I, I also say it stands for an animated film, you know. Um, and when Toy Story three was up for a nomination, yes, it was going to be going against some powerhouses. But I thought Toy Story three legitimately had a shot, you know, to, should have been considered for best picture because of all the buttons it oppressed. Um, I didn't think that a foreign language film or an animated film would ever break through in a best picture win. And I'm stunned. I'm stunned it happened. You know, I want to mention something real quick and then we can move on. Um, last week, we had a very heated discussion um, about the uh, best picture race. And I wanted there was two things I said that I wanted uh, to briefly apologize for. One of them was how can you guys you guys definitely don't like 1917 as much as you say you do. Um, that was an immature, ridiculous <laughs> statement uh, from somebody's perspective of somebody who just genuinely just didn't want to see that movie win. And I thought about it a lot uh, since we did our show last week. Um, I. I am not, I don't want to tear movies down. That's the beauty of what we do for a living, right? We're all, we all love movies enough where I think we get so passionate sometimes that like, like Gabe and I were texting over the weekend about like your passion can sometimes overshadow reason or, or, um, you know, certain things that in your mind you think about 1917, you know, me saying that Sam Mendes doesn't deserve best director. It's still a well-directed film. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll have no problem admitting that was wrong. I, while I necessarily didn't love 1917, I don't, I don't think the story or the characters connected with me, I still understand why it was well-directed. I still understand that he oversaw all the technical sides of it. So I just wanted to say I was wrong on those two things, um, and particularly saying you can't, there's no way you love a movie that much. That's just coming from my own um, uh, annoyance of a film possibly winning Best Picture that we've seen kind of win before. but um, So I just wanted to say that. But I, I, I do, last night was an interesting thing because Bong Joon-ho, and, and, and I know we'll get to maybe some more parts of the Oscars later, but there was a moment last night in the show that was my favorite moment of the Oscars I've, ha- I've seen in a long time, and it was on the same level as Alfonso Cuaron's speech about 
uh, foreign language films and what were, what were foreign language films for him growing up. There was a moment last night in Bong Joon-ho's speech. Uh, I think it was when he won director. And we'll get to that category uh, in the show. At some oh, point. that this was um, my favorite moment too. Yeah, I love this. Maybe we can transition to this now. I don't know if Gabe's cool with that, but yeah, there, there's yeah, a yeah. there's a there's a moment last night where Bong Joon Ho takes the stage for Best Director, and I, I I don't think I had ever really thought about Bong Joon Ho as a kid or or a young filmmaker. He's just been this guy who's been this force in the Oscar season, and I just that's who he is to me. I've never thought of him being like a guy like us. You know, watching movies in Korea. Yeah. Um, and so you think about that kid growing up on Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino. Okay, that's already insane that he's nominated in the category with the two guys that he genuinely loves. That being said, Quentin Tarantino has been a massive champion of international films for years. I, I found out sure. about the film Hero because of Quentin Tarantino because he brought it over to the United States. And there were a lot like films like um, The Street Fighter, Sonny Chiba, uh, A Better Tomorrow, John Woo, Hard Boiled, Kill the Killer. I learned so much about Asian cinema from Quentin Tarantino. So then to have that full circle go on stage last night where you see a guy go up there and beat Quentin Tarantino and, Qu- and Martin Scorsese. <laughs> and then like the could you imagine imagine one of us, right? Like we're fans. You're up there on that stage looking down, not down, but you're looking at people that you have just won over that are your heroes. Um, And I just thought that what he said about Scorsese, that quote he said about Scorsese and then Quentin, I just thought those those moments that made me really love him. um, It was beautiful. I just love what he said. It was great. It's my favorite part. And I I, I actually do think that Quentin actually probably stomachs the loss a little bit more because of how much he's championed uh, Bong Joon-ho's work. Didn't you think it was kind of funny though that he gets up there to accept best director and he gets he gives this beautiful gushing love letter to Martin Scorsese. And then he looks at Quentin Tarantino and gives this beautiful gushing <laughs> love letter to Quentin Tarantino. And then he's sort of like, and Todd Phillips and Sam Mendes, I've I been know. led to believe that you also direct films. Okay, but you know, if he doesn't <laughs> have a personal connection, I'd rather he not fake it. <laughs> yeah, but it was you just know? sort of like these two like massive, like like just outpouring this yeah. flood of affection. And then like also Sam and Todd, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but in regards to what Sean just said, I'd rather him not fake it. But it is funny. Yeah. That Jake brings that up because I, th- I thought the exact same thing. Like I was like, wait, is he gonna go down? Like, where, where's he gonna? Is he gonna? Is he maybe he's a big due date fan? You know what I mean? Like, you never know. But I mean, you, you got <laughs> no one's a big due date fan. Not even Todd Phillips. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, you do have to think about that. I mean, like, and what that means, and also that guy is operating now at a level. Uh, Snowpiercer is one of the most incredible films I've ever seen, and it's actually a film that was that was really in the middle of my top ten of the decade debate. Um, and I've always found that film to be brilliant. And I, I, I think Parasite, which I've only seen once, my wife and I, Lauren and I are going to watch it again tonight. I, I really want to revisit it. Um, when I saw it, it was super hyped up. I wasn't, you know, you, you never know where your mindset is when you first see things. We discussed this a lot on the show. Um, but I am curious, is, is it, is it the best movie of the year? Will I feel differently about it on the second viewing? And even if I don't, you know, and this is something that comes with maturity and getting older. I think we all know this, you know, we're all passionate about what we do. Um, and then we scream at each other on the show. And we say things sometimes that, you know, may go beyond reason, but you know, it is, it, it's, I'm actually excited about this win. Um, I, I wanted Hollywood to win. No question. I think it deserved it, but I love what this may mean for the future. Now, the question now relies on the Oscars. What can we do to actually make this win matter? 
And that's what we need to work on. What is the goal? How do we change? Now that this has happened, what do we do? And that's where it's interesting. Man, I don't I don't know because I, I relate this similarly to a um to the shape of water win. Where where Guillermo del Toro mm. made a Guillermo del Toro movie and the industry just seemed to be in tune with it. Um mm. but we have to see what the slate of films are for the next year. They might not be anything even close to this. And what I want to say, I was just going to make this point too. I don't think this win changes Bong Joon-ho at all. Like you go back over, like you can go watch Okja right now on Netflix. Snowpiercer is on Netflix right now. You go back and watch The Host. He made a straight up, you know, a horror monster movie, basically. These are the types of movies he wants to make and is going to keep making. And especially his speech from the stage last night where he was like, the most personal is the most creative. Um, he's not going to fall into a franchise or do something like that. He's just going to keep making the types of movies he makes. It's just for whatever reason, the industry in general connected with um, with this film this year. But I, be, I bet next year you could have a, a slate of films that goes right back to uh, a period piece that, you know, Kevin, your your dreaded quote unquote definition of an Oscar movie. Uh, and we yeah. may be staring down the barrel of that. I don't now. I, I'm telling you right now, I, and I don't think I've felt this ever after an award show, meaning uh, the idea of what change could be last night feels different um something okay. about last night that happened feels and, and, but here's the thing and this is gonna you know i i see jake smiling and it, it is an interesting thing because shape of water is a great comparison it's a great comparison it's a movie that is out of the box it's it's different um but i don't know it's got I, the director's fingerprints feel, all over it but 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 shape of water didn't feel like this this is like this is historic. This okay, is I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second, and the reason I and I could very well be wrong, and I'm not trying to tell you how you feel. I think the reason that you're feeling this is just because it's been less than 24 hours, and there was a historical significance to Parasite that wasn't there with Shape of Water. The reason I really think this isn't going to have as much of a long-lasting impact as you think it's going to be is how many times have we been sitting at dinner, been sitting at a bar, and and sort of paused and went, "Wait, what won Best Picture last year?" And collectively, like the group of us sort of had to pause for a minute and really try to scrape our brains to remember what won best picture or best actor or best director a year ago. I think right now it feels very timely because it is very timely because it's still a new story. And I think as quickly as Parasite came from behind and became the front runner, it, that, that moment is gone. And if anything, next year, an Academy voter is going to use that as an excuse to vote for something that we don't like because they're going to say, well, I gave it to a foreign film last year, so this year I can vote for whatever I want. Hello. And um, I, I felt horrible because Regina King came out to present Best Supporting Actor, and I was like, what did she win for last year? I completely forgot what she and, went for. Uh, and that happens in the same way that we forget who wins the Super Bowl, you know, less than a year later. Sure, I mean, I, sure. I, I'd like to think and that... I want to clarify something because I tweeted that today about Parasite where I said, you know, it clearly has a passionate fan base, but it just feels like five years from now, it's going to go back on the shelf of of best picture winners that people kind of forget was even a best picture winner. Um, And maybe it's going to have a lasting effect. They're trying to make a television show about it. It it didn't feel like it, it had that cultural shifting impact that some films tend to have where everybody, you know, everywhere is talking about, uh, oh, what'd you guys think of Parasite? You know, uh, like in places where you don't normally hear movie conversation. Uh, but I did, I, I did have those conversations. Did you? I did have those conversations. With non-movie people? 100%. I have an anchor at my station 
And I'm sorry for cutting you off. But all the people, Kevin, all the people we work with got SAG screeners. So I wouldn't even say that, I wouldn't even call them necessarily non-movie people because they didn't, they didn't seek out. And I, and, and I, I could be lumping your, your people in with my people, but I experienced something similar, but it wasn't that the people that I work with, my co-anchors got up off their butts and went to go see Parasite. It was literally delivered on a DVD into their mailbox, and they the went. Movie, well, and Jake's the movie been talking about this has been playing everywhere for months upon months, and it's made thirty-five million at the box office. And now, to make a comparison, not the box office matters, but to make a comparison, Birds of Prey made thirty-three in one weekend. <laughs> you know, and it's right. considered a disappointment. So more people need to go out and see Parasite. Um, you know, to, it's to out really, now. I think it's on. It's on Blu-ray. No one's going to go see it now. It is on blue Blu-ray. I like how you. Emphasize I don't know the why. I, why I emphasize the ray. <laughs> yes, Blu-ray. I have a question, and apologies. Apologies that this question is actually stupid, and it's maybe it's an obvious answer. I just thought about this just now as I was sitting here. So, foreign language film, international film, uh, uh, Parasite wins. Why isn't Tom Hooper's The King's Speech considered to be a foreign language film, an international film, if it's British? Well, I think it's the language that's spoken. So it is language based. And also, this is the first. It is. It is language based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though they're not calling it. So they're no longer calling it best foreign film. They're calling it international feature film. But it's it's based on what what language it's in. But why is a British film? But it's made in that. That's made in the Hollywood system. Like Parasite, he made in South Korea and it got distributed by Neon. But it's a South Korean film. Okay. King's Speech, as your example, is the Mm -hmm. universal film, you know. The, yes, okay. it's made with a British cast, but it's essentially made in the Hollywood mm. system. All right, let's take this moment to transition away from Parasite and the historic win of both the film and its director and talk about the show in general. Um, I, I found this telecast. Maybe this is maybe this f- explains why I'm as worn down as it is. I found the show to be really weird. Like the entire yes. telecast just struck me as it, it never felt like it had found its footing. Um, it felt mm-hmm. like in a conference room. 15 different people around a table each had 15 different (laughs) ideas and rather than pick one and go with it someone just went fuck it put them all in let's do it (laughs) yeah and and also george mckay had the best line of the whole night because he thought he said exactly what everybody else was thinking why were we watching people present presenters of other presenting things (laughs) it made no sense that somebody like the absurdity of george mckay in the in the in the upper seats of the Kodak theater presenting somebody who was also presenting something else. Why waste the time? (laughs) And also, and to Gabe, uh, Gabe and I were texting during the show last night. I'm all for like long montages, but some of those clips that they were doing, like why did they have to show a montage, then come back out, and then read the nominees. And then read the nominees. Like, the nominees needed to be part of the montage. Yes. So I, I, I was like, there was, there was so much wasted time last night during that show. That show could have easily been an hour and a half uh, with all of that stuff. I mean, it was – and I listen, I love a long show. I will watch the Oscars for 10 hours if they're good. But last night's show, like Jake was saying, it just felt like there were 30 people coming up with ideas and it was just happening. And, and one, of the, one, one, of the, one of those guys was a guy in the corner going, guys, what if we got Eminem? <laughs> that that speaks to again just how bizarre uh because that happened in the middle of the show and i was like yeah why not yeah. they seem to be throwing everything against the wall well, to i just see felt like sticks. so does that mean in 15 years like joe pesci's gonna show up because we're gonna get people that don't show up 
But it wasn't even bring on like an anniversary. It was like 18 years ago that yeah. song. The problem with the the problem with the Eminem thing is that it would have been cool if they explained it. Like nobody remembered that he <laughs> that nobody remembered one that he won. Right. I didn't remember he won. And two that he didn't show up for his Oscar. I don't remember. I mean, I that. did remember that, but that didn't have a significance. Like my first thought was like, oh, oh it's interesting that you didn't show up to accept your Oscar, but you're showing up yeah. two decades later. It also it because you have it, a new album out. It contradicts the song. You only get one shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why didn't he give him another shot? Well done. <laughs> that was good. I, I don't know. You know what? From- maybe maybe he was a fan of Hamilton and wanted to get another shot. I mean, I have no idea. You get you have to think about. It is an interesting thing though, right? I mean, like also like who gets to do those make goods? Who gets a makeover? I will say this. Um, that section of the show, I appreciated the montage there because that was so informative about this the way soundtrack can move audiences yeah. um and the iconic element of a song making you remember scenes from a film that you saw um the best example of that was i think they put stuck in the middle with you in there michael madsen mm. uh i think it was in the montage and that song is that's what i think about when i hear that song sure. and a, a filmmaker if they are do if they do it right that song can mean that but during the montage they start they start showing eminem walking for where, some weird reason, like, as if he's walking somewhere, meaning he's walking out on stage at some point. But it was a, it didn't make any sense. You, as an audience member at home, should not be confused as to why you're seeing that. That should not be confusing no. to an audience. Well, like, that I, was that was so inside. I was confused from the get go because that opening musical number I thought was a very nice way to start with the Mister Rogers. Bit. I love the opener. Yeah. Oh, but see, when it transitioned into the weirdo thing with the Midsommar dancers and and the cats representation and people were laying in the aisles and then she joined them laying down. And it's I see that actually kind of pissed me off because it's like, okay, you have people dressed up as Dolomite. You have people dressed up as Midsommar. But you didn't nominate these movies. Like, don't, right. don't, don't try to, like, don't try to right. bring them in the party now. Like, you, right. like, give them a freaking nomination. Us. Don't put them in your musical. Like, to me, that was such a slap in the face of, like, yes, we understand its significance. It's not good enough to be nominated for this award show, but we'll right. put you in our weird opening exactly. dance number. Exactly. That made it even worse. That they well, that, that's the them. question my anchor was asking me on the air today, which is a great question. If you're the Academy Awards and you know your nominations aren't as diverse as the public wants them to be, why would you do an opening number that calls that out even more? Like, meaning, like, like I think Janelle Monet's opening number was great, and I, I'm glad it happened. But if you're the Academy, why do you allow it? How do you allow that to open the show? Because it calls out your show. And I get that, like, stand-up comedians will go up there. I thought Chris Rock and Steve Martin, I thought their jokes, that, that seemed really robotic to me, but we can get into that later on. Um, but that's where you make jokes about it. That's that's what makes sense. So you can make jokes about uh, you can take jabs at the Oscars for diversity. But I'm just surprised that that opening number was it was literally a a gigantic F.U. to the Oscars. I mean, it was like us was up there. Dolomite was up there. Um, I'm just surprised they allowed it to happen. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of reference points too to movies that I don't think are widely recognized right. too. Like, like we got the Midsommar us. thing, but how many people got the Midsommar like with her being encased <laughs> in, in flowers? Like, yeah, you know, it's, that's, that, was a, that was a deep cut. I actually, I'm going to disagree with you, Kevin. I was not a fan of that opening musical number. I thought it was a little clunky. Um, I thought it was a little awkward. Like she couldn't like, couldn't get the jacket off and she couldn't, whenever she got the jacket, she tried to put it on the hanger and it fell off the hanger. And it just felt like, it felt like a bad rehearsal um, and it just it, I don't, it, it felt like a weird way to start the show. And it made me that the whole 
honestly, the whole opening of the show made me, to me, it just confirmed that we got to bring the host back. Well, that, bring okay, the host that's back. my next question. I mean, do we miss yeah. a host? Do we yeah. Miss? Well, that, but, but that's an interesting thing because, yeah, if I'm looking back at the Janelle Monet video and watching it again, which I haven't seen it more than the first time, what I liked about the opener was that it was energetic and it got me pumped up for the show. Um, the Oscars are, is a long show. It, 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 for some reason, there was something about I love her voice. I love her singing. So I just liked what she was doing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it made me it made me happy. It reminded me of like Ellen going into the crowd and, and having fun with the crowd. I, I like those. But types I think of that was fun because Ellen was the host. Like it, like True. that musical number could have been like if, 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 if Janelle Monet had been the host of the show. Then yeah. okay, I get it, and she's incredibly talented. So cool, like make her the host. I'm totally right. cool with that. But and, yeah. and also, it bothered me because then you bring out Chris Rock and Steve Martin, and so you make this whole big thing about yeah. how we don't need a host for the Oscars. But here are two people who've hosted in the past, and they're going to do kind of hosty things. But yeah. we don't have a host. We're a hostless show. But here's the, here are two hosts that are that are kind of hosting. Yeah. But we don't have a host. Like it's okay. Like like pick a lane. Either you have a host or you don't. It, it just felt know. like they couldn't decide what they wanted to do. One guy, one end of the table said, let's have a big opening musical montage. And someone else at the other end of the table said, no, let's bring back some old hosts and have them doing uh, like an opening monologue. And finally they did, said, well, let's, ju- let's just do both. Let's okay. just do both. I did not think that Chris Rock and Steve Martin were funny at all. I, I think there were like maybe one uh, or two jokes that worked. I gotta, but I go back and watch it. it. It almost seemed like they never rehearsed it. Like, like there were like Steve Martin was like laying up jokes for Chris Rock as if it was a script. Like it felt like it didn't feel like they were naturally bantering together. He'd be like, he would say something like, hey, what do you think about this? And it was obviously a layup for whatever joke Chris was about to make. And it just didn't feel natural to me. It felt very scripted. You know what they did? You know what they did? They did crowd work, which is what a comedian does when they don't have material. The funniest joke was the Jeff Bezos joke. About him yeah, getting divorced and still being the richest man on the planet. That was funny. And, and yeah, it's that not was even movie joke. related. Why is Jeff Bezos? The, well, I guess Amazon. Amazon probably had some movies in contention. That's probably why it was there. But I mean, go after some of the talent, you know, go after the people who are there, who are gathered. So. You know, these are the lowest rated Oscars in, in, in history. Yeah, let's get um, to that. And, and that's an interesting discussion because I, and, and this kind of goes to the host question, too, because I know Jake wants to uh, weigh in on that, because interestingly enough, last year. I was all about the no host thing. I thought it was kind of, I thought the show last year was great. I thought it moved and I thought it was well done. This year, I missed a host. I definitely missed a host. Mm -hmm. And it had a lot to do with that horrifically stupid idea to have people present presenters. Why would, why would you do that? Who actually thinks, did you notice that one point they brought the camera over to the side of the stage to to start a new bit, and you were, you were supposed to read what was there real quick and then come back to the center of the stage. I mean, the whole thing felt like it was completely... I think, I think that ties into one of my biggest issues with the Oscars probably in the last 10 years, which is they wanted to have a bunch of people to be able to promote that, oh, this person is presenting. And right. that goes into what I think is their biggest issue is they're chasing after an audience that does not care. Like they're, they're like I don't. I think the days of of 40, 45, 50 million people watching the Oscars oh, are done. Yeah, gone, they're over. Gone. Like those those yeah. days are gone. And they keep they're they're doing everything they possibly can to chase an audience that just does not care about the Oscars. And they're trying to do so by by showing uh, clips of movies that barely have nominations. But if it made any kind of money at the box office, they're showing that. And they're saying, look at all these cool young hip people that we have that are presenting at the Oscars. And it's just like the person 
who that person appeals to isn't yeah. going to watch the Oscars. Does Janelle Monae's fans want to watch Parasite win Best Picture? I mean, it's an interesting thing, right? Like like Justin Bieber. Why, if you book Bieber on the show, yeah, it's a big name, but are, are his fans going to tune in to the Oscars? Right. It's an interesting point. Like, you need really to, is- like, like, stop worrying about appeasing people that don't yeah. really care about the show and instead start modeling the show after people who live for this. Start modeling the show after okay. for, for, for movie fans. But that's a but question. What's interesting about... Who, I'm sorry, go ahead, Sean. who lives for this anymore? Honestly, we, who we lives do. for this? We do. We talk, We started an entire podcast about this. But but here's the thing, and, and and this is the reality, and it's a sad reality. We are living in a world where those numbers are not going to ever happen again. They're no. just not. It, but they're are, still they're still yeah. the it's still the number one award show on television, like by a, by a long. Twenty five million people watch the show. I mean, it's 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 all awesome. that's, that's oh, a huge number. Any show 20, would would love to have that twenty three point nine million. It's, yeah. it's a huge but, rating. But you have to understand, like, and that's the thing about the internet and the thing about headline culture is that everyone's going to write an article about why the ratings were low. It's the uh, the pol- political side of it's going to be, oh, there was too many political jokes. Uh, people don't care about the movies. Whatever it is, in reality, the reason why the ratings are down is because people have too many different options now. There are wait, Why would you sit through three and a half hours of the Oscars? If you don't have to, when you can just look on your phone while watching something else, maybe you're binging something else. And there's really no I mean, I, I don't think this is an Oscar thing. I think this is just across the board. Well, yeah, I, I would I, I would I would imagine that television itself is has to be down and subscribers to cable. Most people don't even have cable anymore. They, they do it through uh, some type well, of app or Hulu or Apple TV. So you, you have to account for that stuff. I'll give it's you an not, example. You know, I didn't watch the Independent Spirit Awards, but I, I couldn't miss Sandler's speech the next day. Right. Because that's how stuff gets shared. Right. Right. And no one is going to commit to a three hour telecast when they can get the highlights the following day because there's too much filler. And it speaks to the fact that the Oscars in, in, in the, a desire to be last um, comes at the end of what is a very lengthy uh, awards campaign for all of these movies. And I mean, I I love these films and I just don't want to hear about them anymore. <laughs> I can't I can't talk about them at the end of the day. And this is a harsh reality we have to think about. While 1917 did reach blockbuster status, um, the nine films that were nominated for Best Picture aren't films like Avengers Endgame or films yeah, but that the are movie make, that got uh, the most nominations made over a billion dollars. Correct. So Joker was one of those weird, weird moments where a popular film was able to break that barrier and do that. But generally, Jojo Rabbit, um, Little Women did cross 100 million. Yeah, and, and can you argue, like Little Women did 100 yeah. million. Couldn't you argue that, that Irishman and, and Marriage Story were two of the most accessible Best Picture True. nominees of the last 10 years, if only mm-hmm. because it was in the living room of every person in America. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting now that I'm like going through them in my head before I made the point that I was making about low box office. There were a lot of great blockbusters, but you think about last year with Black Panther being nominated, right? Um, the Oscar ratings were, were much higher. You, you just start to wonder these things. But Joker, you're right. Joker is almost like, hey, I made a billion dollars. Everyone saw it. But are you? But are the fans tuning in to see Joaquin win? Does he have that type of fan base? And so it's an interesting question. Um, that, can that, we talk yeah. about his speech? Yeah. What What the heck was that speech? I love Joaquin. I mean, honestly, it, to me, it falls in line with everything else he's done this award season. Oh, like, to, that, I, it wasn't as shocking to me. I mean, like the the visual picture that he the, painted. 
the cow um, was, metaphor went. Yeah, full, not a metaphor. Was, it was it was it was there. But to me, it, it's perfectly in line with everything he's been saying and doing um, over this entire award season. I wasn't I wasn't quite as shocked. And if anything, like I I, I don't understand this this feeling of of feeling like actors can't utilize their moment to say what they want to say. To me, like can. it's their moment. Sure. They earned it. His and and you know what? I I gotta be completely honest with you. When I poured like cream into my coffee this morning, <laughs> I thought yeah. about it. And like, and I'm not saying that like it's gonna have any kind of a massive impact on how I'm gonna live my life. But you know what? That visual image that he painted with his words last night, they stuck with me. And I'd Kevin, be lying if I said I didn't think about it. When we're out to dinner and Jake doesn't order steak. <laughs> Uh, wait, but to Jake's point, though, to Jake's point, though, um, Joaquin's speeches this year have actually been very impactful on my household. Lauren and I have actually been actively buying more plant based items. Um, not I, I wouldn't say it's Joaquin's fault or, or his uh, influence, but because of his speeches this year and even that cow uh, thing, while it may be strange it was extremely thoughtful in the sense of like Jake said, I thought about what he meant. And, and there, and there is something now I will say this. It was, it was a long speech. I, I, I thought it was well-worded. I think he's super passionate about his subject. And I like that. I would rather that speech than Renee Zellweger's speech. I thought Zellweger's speech was just like, I, it was just, listen, I already I, forgot what I, she said. I, I don't know anything she said. All I remember is, that, is her thanking a thousand people like Laura Dern's speech was great, you know? And so like, to me, those speeches, I, I admire Joaquin for sticking to his guns and being who he is. Um, and while that may be strange, hey, you have the biggest platform ever right in front of you. Why would you not use it to voice that? And like he could have been like typical, like thanking directors. And I don't even think he even thanked Todd Phillips. Did he thank Todd Phillips during I mean, his Oscar he speech? He spent an entire award season I thanking know. Todd Phillips. I Wait, mean, was Rooney just, Mara even there? Was Rooney Mara? Yeah, she was there. She said, Chuck, she? Chuck Taylor's. <gasps> yeah. What? She's wearing Chuck Taylor's. They went, a, um, they went to a they went to a burger place afterwards called Monty's, I think. And they posted a, I mean, they're probably veggie burgers, obviously. But yeah, she was wearing Chuck Taylor's in that photo. I don't know if she wore them during the show. but All right. All right. That brings us to our wager, which we placed on last week's show. Um, Gabe put us, uh, put our feet to the fire and made all of us pick in the moment. And we came up with a very fun way to sort of punish the losers. Um, pun Punish and and reward the winner. And so um, I am in, whew, boy, dead last place, uh, 11 categories out of 21. I missed 10. And truthfully, I was running a, a Cinema Blends social media account last night. So I, I didn't even really pay attention. I didn't have a ballot in front of me. I didn't pay attention to what my picks were. I felt pretty confident that a lot of the things that I had picked were doing okay. But I'm sure I get, took a bath in the uh, below-the-line categories. And again, yeah, I didn't pick Parasite or Bong Joon-ho. Uh, Kevin got second place, 14 categories out of the possible 21. And Nerdy Von Nerdenstein... King VHS, Jake Hamilton, 19 out of 21 categories correct. Jake nice. went with uh, his heart and his mind and dominated the category. So Jake's always been a very big Oscar fan. He knows a lot about the facts of like different years. So I'm not surprised, but congrats. Man. I was I, I was mad at myself for missing director, but I think we all picked Mendez, if, if, if I remember I right. So. Yep. Um, but I was pretty proud of getting editing. That made me I was pretty I was pretty proud of that one. Oh, we didn't talk about Quentin. How bummed do we think Quentin is? You know, it's so funny. Last night, even 
though Tarantino and Scorsese didn't win, I think they still won. If you know what I mean? Like in the sense of like that Bong Joon-ho speech yeah. for director, to me, solidified Scorsese and Tarantino's um, uh, just amazing filmography and amazing No, man. Stuff. Having a movie go 0 for 10 twice. Woo! Boy. Okay, but, but, but wait a second. Hold on. Are you, you trying to say yeah. that Scorsese's reputation is is damaged in any way? No, no. But like, but it still doesn't. It doesn't change the fact that like it still has to. Like it. Like at least for Tarantino, he walks out of that night going, you know what? Like Pit I got one. I got Brad Pitt an Oscar. Yeah. And uh, and you know well, it's Tar- not a, not a single person involved with the Irishman won a thing. Well, you know what's not going to be helpful going forward is Jake telling us what horrible movie that we have to watch. This is a. Uh, this was our payment uh, for, for Jake winning. Whoever won got to pick a movie that the other two would have to endure and bring a review back to next week's show. So, Do we watch two different movies? Or no, I think no, because I want you to watch the same movie because I want you two to compare <laughs> notes. <laughs> All right. I so the, um, just, let me, just, just a little, little preview. Please you give, 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 give us your thought process. So, so, I want to know how you found this one. <laughs> well, well, I don't want to give away yet how, how it, it – warmed into my mind but i'm just gonna give you a few little fun facts about this film you're going to be watching it made 470 dollars at the box office (laughs) not wow not 470 470 dollars taking notes that's hard it's 17 percent on rotten tomatoes which is higher than i thought it would be okay not bad some people liked it on imdb it's a 2.7 Ooh, that's not good that's not good some of the the fun reviews (laughs) <laughs> that uh, that I found. One critic called it "quote unwatchable." Oh, all right. Another critic called it "quote consistently unpleasant." <laughs> Yet another called it "ugly and pointless." Oh, and perhaps my favorite review of it all: <laughs> watching it is as pleasant as being force-fed warm diarrhea. <laughs> wow! Wow! Amazing. And here's the thing. Wow, Sean. Brought it up last week. I did, and it wasn't until he said something oh, about it, and no. in my head I thought, oh, no. "That sounds interesting." No, and I kind of did a quick Google search about it because <laughs> I've never seen it, and I've never seen any of them in the series. No, so I'm very excited for you guys to just let me know how Human Centipede Three is. Oh, oh. oh no, did a I movie that is apparently about a bunch of people in prison. No. Forced to make one big, giant, long human centipede. Did I? I've seen one and two. I don't think I ever saw. Well, it guess what, you. baby? Yeah. Oh God! You why get to did complete I the story. Something. Oh no! The warm diarrhea makes a lot of sense now. So we watch the movie, and then we comment on it next week on next week's show. Oh, I'm nauseous right now. I'm nauseous already. Just the idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thankful you didn't assign me Irreversible, which is the only movie I've ever turned off in my life. No, I at least wanted it to be a movie you hadn't seen yet. No, I, I don't think I've seen Human Centipede 3. Um, now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually interested in rounding out the trilogy for myself. There so you go. thank you for You're that. You're a completist. Yeah. Good. I like yeah. it. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get that line going, you know? <laughs> All right. So we're going to bring our reviews of Human Centipede 3 back to the, sh- back to the show there, next week. Yes. Is there a, um, is there a, is there a... <laughs> I was just about to say, is there a colon and then title? But that actually is <laughs> oh, way colon. too on the nose. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that, that actually wasn't intentional. But is it just called the Human Centipede Three, or is it like, is there a colon? There's, after it's it? something. There's like, there's a subtitle to it. 
Uh, yeah, Jake, I'm afraid I'm going to be lost in, if I jump right into three. Um, do you have notes on one and two? I don't want I don't want too much. Story. You know what? If you want to go ahead and watch one and two to warm up, that's cool, dude. Should we? Yeah, get a crash course in it. All right. How do I, how do I find Human Centipede three, Jake? I think you can probably stream it. I don't know. It's not my problem. Okay. I didn't lose. <laughs> yes, I lost. This is going to be amazing. I lost badly. All right, news. Let's get to some news. Um, <laughs> Sam Raimi in talks to take over for Doctor Strange 2. Uh, I yes. Am, I'm crazy excited about this, and we did not get a chance to discuss this after this news broke. It's not official, um, but when Scott Derrickson, the former director of Doctor Strange, comes out and says... Sam Raimi is the right person to do it. it makes me think that he and uh, that he knows something that Marvel doesn't know. And then ever since then, too, uh, his co-writer, who's a C. Robert Cargill, uh, has said that they never wrote a treatment for Doctor Strange uh, into the m- multiverse, multiverse of madness. Yep. Um, that I guess they had a story idea, but whatever script they're working off of now is completely original and and will be going in a different direction. I love. Sam Raimi for this project uh, instantly yeah. people were saying like oh as long as you let him be who he is and you know it's not just the Marvel mold slapped down on him but I think people like Taika. James Gunn and Taika and even um, Ryan Coogler to an extent were able to put their own stamp on Marvel material and still keep it uh, a Marvel movie people like Peyton Reed and even uh, John Watts to a certain extent I, I don't know what their voices are otherwise yeah. Um, but Sam Raimi has a voice and I believe it's going to shine straight through, especially when you give him a quote unquote horror movie, you know, that's going to dabble in supernatural to me. It seems like the perfect fit. Are you guys also Also, remember that, that scene in Spider-Man two, when Doc Ock kind of goes crazy in the surgical say that's such like a, like a Sam Raimi evil dead montage. And imagine like him being given my, my impression is that, almost a whole Marvel movie could sort of be like that. So if they are going that horror direction and he needs to kind of keep it, not, I don't want to say family friendly, but like arguably probably PG 13, he could still make it that fun, goofy, evil dead kind of horror. And, uh, and, and, and it still feel right at home. Cause he's, I feel like he's done it before in that one particular scene. Yeah. Well, to what Jake is saying, like, like Raimi is kind of a master at making, films that can still feel R-rated. Drag Me to Hell was like such a great oh, good, yes. PG-13 horror film. Like it was, that was a nasty horror film, but it was PG-13 because it wasn't as bloody as something like an Evil Dead. Now it's funny, like like when I hear of a director getting attached to a project, I always think of like the one thing I want to see. I remember when Abrams uh, got attached to Star uh, Star Wars, I just wanted to make sure he put some lens flares on the top of the um, sabers. With Raimi... Raimi has to do this if it happens. He has to have Doctor Strange's cloak or, you know, was that what do you call it? Cloak? Is that what you call yeah, that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You would, ha- you would have to have his cloak do the full-blown hand animatronic sequence from Evil Dead 2 where the hand runs across the <laughs> floor, but have the cloak do it. Because I think it, like, in some of the earlier oh, Avengers fun. films, weren't there some bits in some of the MCU films where the cloak was fighting on its own at some point? Like, there oh, yeah. Some scenes uh-huh. where, yeah. I think they should do a full-blown practical cape animatronic evil dead style running across the room that needs to that's happen. fun gabe Please is asking happen. uh that holland tom holland and benedict cumberbatch's chemistry was a fan favorite and a big part oh, yeah. of infinity war is there any chance sam raimi would get to direct tom holland in doctor strange 2 okay well, so yeah i mean there has been talk I, mean, I don't know if it's talk but it's like a, a fan-made poster of you know oh, yeah. you're calling it the multiverse of madness 
you're eventually going to open up the multiverse and uh, Boss Logic, who does these amazing, you know, fan driven art uh, posters and 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 snapshots, did uh, the Tobey Maguire uh, Spider Man hand reaching out of one of Doctor Strange's portals. Now, <clears throat> do I think it's going to happen in this movie? No, but I don't. I I don't think that Sony isn't <laughs> looking ahead to potentially doing a live action uh, Spider-Man multiverse where Andrew Garfield and Sam Raimi uh, and Sam and uh, Tobey Maguire both get to you think play. Maguire would really come back. Yes, I do. What else does he have going on? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, but mean, I mean, why not? Yeah. That, no, it's an interesting. It's interesting. From a Spider-Man perspective, from a Spider-Man fan, that's the closest thing that that franchise could build toward. Um, yeah. That's an Avengers, you know, level. Yeah. You have a, a multiverse uh, movie where you and you've introduced it in animated form. Fans know what it is now at this point. And the multiverse is going to get introduced in the MCU and it's going to create a lot of different possibilities for where they can go. Uh, he, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think it could. Here's my concern. Uh, here's my concern. And I love Sam Raimi. Um, but Scott Derrickson, I, I think Doctor Strange is, is top seven MCU. Yeah, you love that film. I loved Doctor Strange. Um, I loved Michael Giacchino's score. I just thought it was brilliant. That movie had a very interesting tone to it. That was Scott's voice. I mean, it was his movie. Um, the fact that he left really bothers me. Yeah. Something went down, and I, I because if for that type of filmmaker to walk away from a project like that, it must have been something really yeah. um, against his vision. And, you know, you think about it's interesting is Scott Derrickson and Raimi are both very heavily R-rated directors. Um, I do want to mention Sinister by Derrickson. If anybody hasn't seen it, it's an incredible horror film. The guy's genius. Um, but it is it, it. That's what bothers me. What was it that made Scott walk? And that's where I start to get worried. Like, are they going to try and tone this thing down? I mean, I was waiting for a horror film. I think that's what we were discussing earlier about the idea of it being a horror film. But Raimi comes from that same background. I mean, you could argue Raimi and uh, Raimi and Derrickson kind of have a similar career. Mm -hmm. They come from a horror background, then they went into superhero films. So I, I, one thing I will say that makes me excited about Raimi is there's something beautiful about going back and watching the first and second Spider-Man. I still think Spider-Man 2 is my favorite next to Far From Home. Uh, I know Sean has uh, very uh, passionate thoughts on Spider-Man 2 with Doc Ock, but I love that movie. Um, but what Raimi did back then was he blended practical and CGI mm -hmm. perfectly. He had to use the tools he had to use. So things looked real and practical on set, and then you would deal with some of the CGI for the flying. My hope is that Raimi will still approach this one just like that. He will still use practical effects, but then use CG to help it, you know, to blend it together. Mm -hmm. I, I, I hope that he still comes at it from that standpoint, because he hasn't made a superhero movie in a long time. Right. So I'm, I'm hoping that he can fall back into because... Remember how big of a deal Spider-Man 1 was? It was such a gigantic oh, opening weekend of all time. But also, Raimi doesn't strike me as a type that is going to get pushed around by Marvel. Like, no. Raimi is going to come in and make the movie he wants to make. Yes. And if it's not the movie he wants to make, he's not going to do it. So I feel, honestly, bringing on someone like Raimi, it, it sucks that, that Derrickson's out. But I have a lot of faith that, that it's going to be good, if only because Raimi doesn't need this. So I feel like the fact that he's doing it implies that they're letting him do something that excites him. 
and I'll give, I'll give another example of where where a situation like this actually ended up. I thought ended up working out great. I loved Ant Man. Um, it's also one of my favorite MCU films. The first one. Um, and Edgar Wright, we know, was attached to that. Did Edgar ever shoot anything for that, or was it just? Uh, the, the he did a, a very small test reel. Okay. That they showed but at Comic Con. Okay, but I thought that Peyton did a great job with Ant Man. So, but we hadn't had a first Ant Man yet prior to that that right. Edgar did. Right. So now it's it's interesting. But I think I think Sam Raimi's almost like the perfect choice uh, for it. Kev, uh, to, no, you know. Yeah. No, I would agree. Kev, you caught up with Birds of Prey uh, after uh, Jake and I got it was to awesome. see it at the premiere. Yeah, you liked it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I was super impressed um, by what Kathy and obviously what she did with. Stel Heskey. I mean, that action was legit. I, I I know we were having a discussion about box office prior to our show today, and it is an interesting thing to think about the marketing of that film because, and, and this is my my wife, Lauren, is a massive Harley Quinn fan. Before we sat down to watch that movie, she didn't know it was rated R. Oh, really? That's and that's crazy to me. Um, and my wife is very in tune with with what's going on in the movies. There's that that's something that you that wouldn't sneak past you. And Jake made a great point. Um, in our earlier discussions about there not being a Red Band trailer, and we can dive into that as well. But it is interesting to me that that movie wasn't, it didn't feel like it was marketed in a way where our fans were knowing what they were getting themselves into. So I think when you sat down for Birds of Prey, you were pleasantly surprised by what you saw because you had no idea, you, you had no idea it was going to be that tone. You know what I mean? That tone was very Deadpool, John Wick-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, action-wise, it is incredible. Anytime Harley Quinn's on screen, I loved it. Uh, and, you know, it's truly her film. And those, that bacon, egg, and cheese bit was hilarious. Oh, so funny. Um, there was just so many great bits that continued throughout the the sequence when she went into the police station with the beanbag shotgun. That was awesome. Um, you know, there's some really great action in the film. But Jake and I, and Jake can comment on this as well, why is it called Birds of Prey? And that's, that's what I don't really understand. Uh, and I get Birds of Prey in the comics. I understand that. But to me, as an average, I call, I consider myself an average comic book movie fan. I love comic book films. I don't read comic books daily, but I've never heard of Birds of Prey. Um, I think if you're doing a Suicide Squad uh, spinoff, you got to go on the character's name. You got to call it Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Or just, I, mean, I know she's in the title. That title was ridiculous. I don't, right now, if you ask me, to tell you the title of that movie, I could not. I could not tell you the full title. Well, I don't know it. They're not a head. team that that is as beloved as like even the Teen Titans. I think are more popular and probably because of the animated. Version. I know who they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Birds of Prey, they're a team. You know, they're existing team. I think DC wanted to sort of launch them necessarily. It, it makes me wonder based on the numbers that we saw this past weekend, even with Harley, if you're ever going to see that Birds but of Prey. But it didn't do. Movie. It didn't fail. I, no, I don't it, like that it, word it failure. Yeah. It still did okay. Yeah. I mean, like like these articles. That's the world we live in now, though. It's like uh, Birds of Prey uh, failed to take off or whatever, you know, whatever. They're writing these headlines before even the news is happening because, like, you know, you already know what you're going to do with the story. In relation to Justice League, it did infinitely better in (laughs) in regards to uh, to its budget. I mean, it made back worldwide. It made back its budget over the weekend. Uh, It's it's all and it's got no competition in the coming weeks. Um, I, I think word of mouth is actually going to be really strong. My news director went and saw it and I, I, oh, the, for that, for the past few weeks, he sort of, he's, he's like, dude, I don't know, man, that's not my kind of movie. And I kept telling him, dude, it's good. Please go see it. And he texted me this weekend and goes, it's actually a lot of fun. He goes, I never would have seen it. He goes, just based on, you know, all the trailers and everything I'd seen going back to Kevin's point. Like they really, I mean, remember when Joker came out and even the TV spots would end with the movie trailer voice guy going, rated R 
Like they right. really wanted you to know this movie is going to F you up. Like we are really like, I feel like they really should have capitalized on like just how R rated violent, vulgar and, and fun it was going to be. Cause there were so many moments when we were watching it in London, Sean, about halfway through, part of me was wondering like, why haven't I seen any of these, like any of these scenes in the trailer? Like I, I'm shocked that I haven't. And then I went, it's because there hasn't been a red band trailer like that. That's why I haven't seen any of this stuff because right, they, right. they haven't put out a trailer that could include any of it, which I think was a mistake. Does, d- does no Joker affect it? Do you? Th- I mean, that character is so popular. Yeah, I, I think it's unfair about- to compare it to Suicide Squad because Suicide Squad had Will Smith and True. the first time we had seen the Joker since Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and, and granted, I-, I didn't know who the Suicide Squad was either. Didn't, yeah, but it didn't matter. But I mean, by that point, it it, it had it. All, you know, one the trailers the for Suicide Squad were astounding, um, and and the marketing campaign behind Suicide Squad was incredible. I I really hope that that more and more people go out and discover uh, Birds of Prey, and and it, it'll be a real shame. But I also agree with you, Kevin, that the headlines trying to per- portray this as a failure are uh, misrepresenting it. If it's it's going to be in the black. Any day now, and it's going to be perfectly fine. In the black canary, if it made, like, if it made nine, <laughs> if it made nine million dollars, then I could see okay, that's a failure. But I mean, the budget itself was under a hundred million or four hundred twenty dollars. Um, how much? I know four hundred seventy dollars for Human Centipede three. Four seventy. Oh my god. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it was my mom. She went and saw it ten times. <laughs> all right, this week in movies. Uh, whew, all right. There's something coming out called Enter the Fat Dragon. <laughs> and I actually heard of this. This uh, is real. It stars Donnie Yen. Yes, I do. I have heard okay. of Enter the Fat Dragon. I mean, it looks like fat, a spoof, like with an F or a fat no, with a PH. No, fat F A T. It's a guy. It's a fat uh, martial artist, and it looks like it's a spoof. How funny was that bit in Gentleman when the guy's name was F, like it, it sounded like the F word? Oh yeah, and yeah. they kept like <laughs> they kept, that was <laughs> yes, really that was funny. really funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, the, no one saw Enter the Fat Dragon. No one. All right. Um, I only brought that up because Jake asked if the if fat was PHAT. Yes. I, I haven't heard that in forever. Ordinary P-H-A-T. love. Uh, ordinary love. Liam Neeson, Leslie Manville. Uh, no, Liam Neeson love. has a movie coming out and we haven't heard about it? Yes. Uh, downhill. Downhill. Will Ferrell. Yeah, I, I could do. I, I missed I that because this. I had to choose between um, that or Suicide Squad. Not to Jesus. Uh, Harley Quinn. No, Birds of Prey. Whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, this is a remake of Force Majeure, uh, which was yep. a, a Swedish film that came out a couple of years ago, which was a really well done and and well received. And it is this is what happens nowadays. They Americanize uh, anything that's uh, that's foreign language because they just know that we're never going to read subtitles. And so they get Will Ferrell and Julie Louis-Dreyfus to play in this one. I haven't seen it yet, Ooh. but I do want to go see it. It's an interesting premise. Oh, it's a funny yeah, premise. That- yeah, so there's is a couple on a vacation at a Swiss uh, resort, a ski resort, and during a triggered avalanche that they uh, set off explosions on the side of the mountain to clear the path for the skiers, and it's something that the resort does uh, to better it for the guests. But this particular avalanche gets very close to their hotel where they're sitting outside eating lunch as a family. It's a husband and wife and their two kids. The father grabs his cell phone and runs away from the table. (laughs) The mother grabs the children. And then it's them dealing with the uncomfortable reality of what has happened (laughs) in that moment uh, as they go forward with the rest of the vacation. And in in force majeure, it is 
it embraces in a Seinfeld kind of way, just how uncomfortable uh, bad behavior makes people feel. And so getting Julie Louis-Dreyfus to play in it, and obviously Will Ferrell can do that really well. So my screening is tonight. No, I'm sorry. My screening is tomorrow night. Um, so I'm excited to check it out. Uh, I just don't, I, you know, watch Force Majeure. You know, why do you have to go see a remake of this film? I wish those guys did something together, but did something different. But we'll see how it plays. Do you remember the filmmaker? It was like years ago. Was it Michael Haneke, uh, the filmmaker who remade his own film for in Amer- with American audiences? It was like he did a he did a he did a foreign language film, right? And then he remade it himself. That's with American actor. I think it was Naomi Watts. Um, was it Funny People? Funny? Oh, funny I know. People funny, or- funny Games. Funny Games. Yeah, well, that was it. And, okay. and Michael Haneke, he did, he did a movie called Cachet years ago, which I thought was, I think he's a French filmmaker, right? Okay. But I, so I was wondering if the, the same filmmakers didn't remake Force Majeure, right? Is it different directors? It's different directors. It's uh, Jim, okay. Jim Rash from uh, Community, and it's the guys who did um, Sideways. Oh, I like Jim Rash. I think the, the, guy, the two guys who wrote Sideways for Alexander Payne are doing this. And, uh, and also The Descendants? Nate Faxon, right? Nathaniel Faxon? I think that's who. Oh, yeah. No, no. Someone else did Descendants. Uh, no. No. I think you might be right. I, I don't know. This is what happens when we do, don't do any prep. <laughs> any prep. <laughs> Kevin, you wanted to bring up uh, to all the boys, P.S. I Love You, a Netflix film. Yeah. Only because my, my wife, uh, Lauren, uh, watches so many shows uh, in the house. And sometimes I'll like, I'll, I'll stop and sit down and watch it. And that first called, one was good. First one was great. And I love to all the boys I loved before was a really great, uh, a really great romantic teenage comedy. Um, Lauren's been has found like a really great niche where she's like really found a good young adult audience uh, and those types of movies. And uh, so I I went and saw to all the boys I loved before the sequel with my with Lauren. I thought it was I thought it was really well done. I mean, I I think, again, and I understand that you people might not be interested in a rom com, but. I thought it was fun. I like high school films. I like romance. I like, I think Noah Centineo is, is a great leading character on screen. Um, my wife really is the one who really got me into it. And I've become more of a fan because of the way she's passionate. When, you know, I think that's the way passion works. Like when somebody's passionate about something and they're passionate enough about it, it can make you passionate about it. Um, I know it will it end up on my top 10 of the year. No. Um, but if you're a fan of the first one, I will say the second one does deliver. I still think the first one's better. Uh, overall, I think the, the, there's better storyline in the first one. Second one has some kind of it dips a bit. But overall, I think this guy who plays um, uh, John Ambrose, his name is Jordan Fisher. I think he's the guy currently playing Evan Hansen on Broadway oh, wow. uh, for Ben. Um, what was Ben's last name? Um the gentleman who played uh, yeah, uh, Evan, Han- uh, Evan Hansen. Uh, so Jordan, the guy who's in this movie uh, to all the boys sequel, he's the guy who's playing Evan Hansen now. But I liked it. If you're a fan of the first one, you'll totally enjoy it. Okay. I think you will. Uh, yeah. Other movies in theaters. Fantasy Island, the new Blumhouse movie. Uh, the only thing I can tell you about the Fantasy Island movie is that the embargo uh, for reviews is Friday morning at 9 a.m. What? <laughs> yes. And so if you participated in the junket, uh, you had to sign an, uh, a waiver that says you still won't run your review or coverage until day of. That's a good sign. Yeah. Uh, the photograph is opening in theaters also. Photograph? Maybe? I know what it is. I haven't seen it. I have heard of it. Yes. Uh, you guys have seen, though, Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, yeah. That's this week. Thoughts on Sonic the Hedgehog, which opens this week. Oh, yeah. Are we allowed to, are we, we are allowed to talk about it? Oh, I don't know. Are, are you guys so, allowed to right? talk about it? Yes, sure. Yeah. 
I, I, yeah, you know what? I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, expectations and how expectations are are uh, such a contributing factor to how you feel about a movie one way or the other. Uh, there had been so much press about them going back and, and fixing the look that I've, I felt, you know, I, I just kind of went in. It really uh, it capitalized on my, on my nostalgia. You know, I played Sonic on Sega growing up on Sega Genesis. Um and, you know, we get a, a flash of 90s Jim Carrey, a Jim Carrey that I never thought that we were ever going to see again. Um, the, the animated character of Sonic is, uh, is, is fun and likable, never crosses that, that potential threshold of these animated characters where they get annoying. Uh, I still feel like Hollywood doesn't quite know what to do with James Marsden yet. I feel like he's such an underutilized talent that, that doesn't, has, has never really point. been, he's never been almost like how you describe Jason Lee. He's like, he's never been used to his full potential. Um, even when he's in great projects, I feel like he's, he's never used, uh, uh to his best. Um, I, 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 I thought it was a perfectly pleasant film. There are, there are some, one of the, the couple of jokes in there for the parents that take their kids to go see it. Um, if you, I always try to look at these movies, like if you are a parent who is taking your kid to go see this movie, mm. how unbelievably tortured are you going to be? And I would say with Sonic, not at all. I think he wanted to, he also said he wanted to make it for people who played Sonic as a kid, but are older now. Right. Yeah, which so, are, I would, I think I fall into that demographic and uh, there are a lot of moments, even to, you know, Kevin and I, we sat next to each other at the screening in the, the when they do the Paramount logo, it's not stars. It's, it's like the rings that he collects, gotcha. which like even that little thing is like, oh, that's cool. That's and it, so it's like that multiplied by 90 minutes. And on top of Carrie, I like Ben Schwartz. I think Ben Schwartz is really funny. Yeah. Too. And he does, he does a great job with the voice. Does okay. a great job. Yeah, I, I listen. I think Sonic was a pleasant surprise, I, and I, I I find it to be such an. I love the story of how it all went down. Um, I love that they listened to the fans. Um, you know that becomes a slippery slope when you start listening to fans uh, and, and making adjustments to your own movie. But you know the original effects on those trailers were awful. Um, and as you sit and watch the new one, you you understand that they actually went into it and put care into it this time. Um, I thought Jim Carrey, like Jake was saying, it was. It was like visiting an old friend again. I, I I missed that Jim Carrey. I missed that over the top physical, like the way he moves his face or his body. He's just so great on camera. And it's funny because like even little details of what he does to the performance are so important. While they might not be celebrated, they're just super important. I, I, I just love watching his mind work. And I think that even when he's not speaking, there's something physically going on with the audience that he's just so in tune. Like, that guy just makes every scene better. And it was almost like I just couldn't wait for him to come back on screen. Is the movie great? I mean, there's the plot is fine. Um, I thought the Sonic action was cool. There's a really cool baseball sequence in the film where he plays baseball himself, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> I actually like that scene a lot. He plays all nine people in the field and all in this instantaneous, like, quick edit thing. It was really well done. It was clever. Um, and I think that the movie actually does have a much deeper... Here's the one thing I will say about it. I just thought about this off the top of my head. The movie's actually super dark. There is some dark humor in this film. Like, like I, I was... There are like jokes in this movie that I was surprised ended up in a PG film. Um, and I won't give away what they are, but like the stuff Jim Carrey built into Robotnik's background is fascinating. It really kind of is. He like it's almost like he like you wouldn't think somebody would spend that much time detailing who Robotnik is. But <laughs> this guy, he took it extremely seriously. Um, and so to me, it, pay, it paid off like that work is on screen. That guy is a complicated guy villain and it works for me um is the movie phenomenal is it great no it's fine i enjoyed it i was 
I was very happy with my experience, but I was I went in with low expectations. Well, so. let's find out if the boys chose Sonic the Hedgehog uh, for their favorite. Of we did Jim Carrey film and performance in this week's blend game. Hashtag Jim Carrey blend, and uh, we don't have an order in here, uh, so I'm going to say that Jake gets to go first. Uh, the movie that I chose, and I, this was actually one of the harder ones that we've done recently, to be completely honest. And I've probably changed my mind multiple times because there are different facets of Jim Carrey that I like for different reasons. Sure. But if I'm talking about the Jim Carrey movie, that if it's on TV, doesn't matter where in its runtime it is, I'll, I'll turn it on. If we're talking about the Jim Carrey movie that I quote to my friends the most, it's got to be Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, um, I, I absolutely love that movie. I think it's both stupid and smart at the same time. Brilliant. The fact that these two guys make a bet to try to see when they're going to be able to get the other guy to be able to gamble, I think is, is it, <laughs> there's so many levels to that joke that I just, I find absolutely hilarious. I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll see one of my buddies and just go big gulps, huh? Well, yeah. see you later. Like it's it's so just unbelievably stupid, but there is also a sweetness to it. Um, one of the reasons that I love the original is, is one of the reasons that I hated the sequel. The sequel was so mean spirited and took everything that was sweet out of that original. Like, yes, these two guys, you know, they're they're so combative with each other, but they do actually really care about each other. And I I cannot that that movie is now slowly approaching thirty years old. And I probably laugh as hard at it now because because comedy is a weird thing. Comedy is one of those things where you maybe you you thought you thought something was funny at a certain point in your life, yeah. And you go back and you watch and you go, you know what? I was a different person. I was younger. I was a different place. And it's just I get like something like for me, a perfect example is like 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 Billy Madison. Like I loved Billy Madison as a kid. I, I just don't laugh at Billy Madison now. I just don't. It just doesn't have the same effect. I could turn on Dumb and Dumber right now and laugh just as hard as I did 25 years ago. Um, and there are a couple other close, um, Liar Liar for me was a close second place. And, and I love Eternal Sunshine for the spot, uh, of the Spotless Mind, um, just in terms of everything that represents about his, his abilities as an actor and, and the storytelling. But if we're talking about favorite, which is what we have been doing with this game, I got to go Dumb and Dumber. Kevin? Yeah, it, it's it, you know, Dumb and Dumber truly is a remarkable film, and 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 I, I make this argument on the show all the time about how I hope one day um, it's taken more seriously how great comedians are. Uh, and I remember seeing a, a, an interview with with Jeff Daniels and 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 uh, Jim Carrey, and Jeff Daniels it, it jokingly went into the character he plays in Dumb and Dumber. It was pretty amazing, like like because the guy is such a he's a serious actor. I mean, the guy like won an Emmy. I mean, he's like he's a genuine serious actor. But watching him transform into the character, it's it's a legitimately great performance from Daniels and Jim Carrey. Um, funny enough, and I, I, mine is more of a personal reason. I think that's why we play this game, right? We we talked last week about why like underrated seventies blend was a tough blend game until I kind of understood exactly what. It was funny. That actually might have been the blend game that finally made me understand the science behind the blend game, to be honest. And 104 it, episodes in. But, but do you know what I mean by that? Like, that was the one that forced us to actually find a film that fit the criteria of the game. Yeah. Um, not that we don't do that, but there was. But also like, define I, the criteria. Right. I had to search. Like, like, that movie came to me because of a personal thing with my with my father-in-law. So, I actually loved that game last week. So this one is similar um, for me. And I went with Liar Liar. 
Um, and Liar Liar is my choice because I saw it on my birthday with my mom and dad and my brother. I, I still have all four of the tickets. Um, it was March 22nd, 1997, I believe it was. It was the Regal Cinema's Kiln Creek. Uh, I'll never forget it. And to this day, like my dad and my parents... We reference that movie all the time. Um, the boardroom sequence, we reference the elevator sequence, we reference, you know, there, there's so many funny moments in that film. But why I love Liar Liar is because of the reason Jake was talking about, about the sweetness of it. It's, it's a genuinely emotional film about a father who's dealing with divorce, um, who has a child, who, you know, it's funny because like these are things you go, oh, it's a comedy. Why does that stuff matter? That stuff works. Like even like something as simple as the claw, um, like having Carrie always do the claw, and like you know, it, 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 there was something interesting about the relationship he had with his son, and like that whole ending scene at the airport, where instead of having him run through the airport, he gets on one of those these transport things, and his face comes up into the window of the airplane. Like there's just so much emotion that went with every bit of comedy. The comedy worked because the because you cared. You know what I mean? You, you, you actually wanted Fletcher to succeed. I, I think he actually wanted to be a good father. And I think for so many years, and I feel like we're, I'm breaking down deep thematics of Liar Liar, but I, I truly felt this way as a kid. Like, but as I get older, I, I look at the film differently, right? I look at the film from a father-son standpoint. I think about the, the devastation of that kid's face when he has to wish his father would tell the truth for a living. Um, and it is, while the comedic stuff is funny, that's what really anchored it for me. I, I love that, that, that sentimentality in the film. That being said, the physical comedy in that film is really the centerpiece of why I love that performance. He's my favorite performance of him because the Royal Blue pen sequence, these, 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 these moments that are just, I can sit here right now and name off 15 iconic scenes in that film. Him beating himself up in the bathroom. Um, you know, him walking into the office and the guy having a big mole on his face. Uh, the boardroom scene, pulling the guy's hair off and putting it on the wall. Um, and just like literally going down the line and saying uh, bad words to each person in the boardroom. Um, in the, oh my God, remember he looked over that at, at that one scene of I've Had Better? Remember how iconic that was, that, that one scene? Like, I mean, <laughs> I've Had Better. But just like the idea. And then that's why I kind of liked Yes Man. Um, a little bit because it was kind of that vibe again. You know what I mean? That same vibe of like transitioning somebody into a different person. But I love Liar Liar. Uh, and I think to this day, uh, it is the best thing he's ever been involved in. I think it's the best performance of his career. I think he's genuinely hilarious in it. And I think everybody's great in it. Um, that's my number one. But it's also personal. I mean, I saw it in an age where it hit me. And I, I also love the way it makes me feel now. Um, Eternal Sunshine probably would be maybe more of his better, his best movie, I guess, technically speaking, if you want to go down that route. But uh, I think Liar Liar is the best thing he ever did, personally. Well, I picked Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind because I, I couldn't not. I, I love it. I love everything about it. It's also, I would argue, and you both brought it up, which is really funny. It's, it's arguably the best film he's been part of. It's, it's Maybe, amazing. I might say Truman Show also. I love Truman Show also. But I feel Truman Show is much more accessible. It is. and But with Carrie... Like you two, I wanted to pick a comedy because he, to me, is the last of a dying breed of of comedians that people would go see. I'm going to go see the new Jim Carrey comedy. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter what he's doing. I'm just going to go check him out in it. And even when he disappeared from him for a little while to do Man on the Moon and Eternal Sunshine, he came back with like Bruce Almighty and Yes Man. And people still tuned in for it. You know, they still wanted to see what he was capable of doing in comedy because way, he was 
just I that re- good. I rewatched Bruce Almighty. I'm going to cut you off. That movie is so great. That yeah. movie. And that's another. My, my, my wife made it actually an interesting point. She goes, that movie's kind of uh, liar, liar, too. Right. It's like in the sense of like he, the flip of it. He, you know what I mean? Yep. It's, it, it's similar style. But I'm sorry. Continue. But I that love movie Bruce was Almighty. so good. It so spun good. off a sequel <laughs> that Jim Carrey didn't come back. Dude, the, <laughs> but at least we got the scene in the first one when Carell goes off on camera. That is one of the that is one of the funniest scenes yeah. I have ever seen in a movie in my Dude, life. Dude, nobody knew Steve Carell at that point. I know. Yeah. I know. He was barely yeah. uh, an unknown. Anyway, right. back to you your Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. No, Eternal Sunshine is one of those movies where I don't think it's underrated. I think enough people appreciate how great it is. But unless you have gone back and watched it, you know, recently, it's it's so brilliant. It's uh, Charlie Kaufman, obviously. And Gondry. Uh, and Gondry, um, who apparently is, he directs that Jim Carrey show that you were yeah, talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. Which makes Kidding. me want to check it out. I've never I've never had a chance to see that, or I, I have not caught up with it yet. Uh, just the concept is so great. You know, this couple uh, on a train, they figure out that they uh, had been in a relationship, and then she went back and got him erased from his memories, so he agrees he's going to go do it. And then, you know, through weird science fiction that takes place in a lot of Charlie Kaufman films, and then halfway through, he starts to regret, regret it. And uh, and he's going through their memories together. And of course, it starts with all the bad and it gets to the reasons why they loved each other in the first place. And it's a tremendous breakup film. But what I love about it, too, is that, you know, very few comedians get that. And we talk about this a lot on the show, because especially with Sandler and Uncut Gems, when they break away from comedy and try their hand at drama, uh, there are times when you just can't believe them. Um, and Will Ferrell is one of those guys. Like, I think Will Ferrell, when he tries drama, it's. You're just not comfortable with it. Um, There's one that worked though. Which one? The the one with the where he was hearing the writer in his head, Stranger Than Fiction. See, I didn't even like that. Yeah, I had a tough time. With I that. love that movie, but I understand what you're saying about Will Ferrell. But I love Stranger Than Fiction. It's rare. It's rare when they can cross over. And Jim Carrey is the one that I think dances back and forth as nimbly as any of them ever do. Um, he could be as stupid and goofy where he's talking out of his butt. Uh, or he can be, you know, a a wounded person like he is in Eternal Sunshine, and it's believable. Now, listen, when you surround him with Kate Winslet and Elijah Wood and Tom Wilkinson and this amazing cast, that probably helps, but carries a tremendous performance in that movie. Uh, He doesn't get the credit for the range that, like... He's tremendous in Man on the Moon. He's tremendous yeah. in The Truman Show. He's, I almost went with a cable guy where he's like deeply uncomfortable uh, in that role. And he and Stiller play off of each other perfectly, but he plunges himself into all of these roles, makes them completely believable. Uh, but not only is it my favorite performance of his, but it's my favorite movie that he's in, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, wins for my Carrie Blend pick. Audience picks, Dustin Stout, and several others went with Dumb and Dumber. Uh, 000JZ and many others chose The Truman Show. And Kelly Rea chose Liar Liar. Nobody said Ace. I Where's saw Ace? a lot of people pick uh, The Mask. Oh. oh, The Mask? That's another yeah. one? Yeah, that made it in there? Uh, I almost went with Ace. Ace is so great. Ace is, Ace is the one that I quote the most. That still holds up, by the way. Oh, I, God, I rewatched so that the other funny. day. That is, I mean, that performance, that character is iconic. <laughs> like, so I, brilliant. I, I mean, I'm telling you right now, he should have won an Oscar for that performance. I'm sorry. And you and you can make fun of it because it's it's joking, talking out of his butt. That performance is hard. That's, oh, not, no. that's so not an easy performance. There's a scene where like he keeps putting like big red gum in his mouth, but he just keeps <laughs> putting 
wanting more and more yeah. and more. And he's like doing this like real big chew, and he's like, "Your gun is sticking into my hip," and he's like, just got this giant. It's the stupidest thing, but it, I just die laughing every time. Oh, I don't Kevin! Know. Kevin Salamanca is in it. I know. Ventura, dude. I, I always love the yes, Satan. <laughs> yes, Satan. I always love when he had to put his head out the window to drive. Like, cause the, the windshield was broken and he said, like, I mean, it was just, I don't know. There was something, that performance and even like the stupid shots of him in the, in, in the water tank looking for the, the clues about snowflake and, yeah. uh, and he, like the cameras on his face. He's like, I don't know. It's just like those movies were, we'll never, I don't know if we'll ever get something like that. Ever I kind of love, people don't remember this, but when Ace Ventura came out, it was a big deal because Courtney Cox from Friends was going to be in a movie. Oh wow! I don't and have, everyone was like, yeah. "Oh, look at Hirsch making the jump to movies," and then like people saw it, and they completely got overshadowed by who this new guy is from *In Living Color*. So was wait, was Mask before Ace Ventura? It was no, six I months think Ace after. Was first was it? Yeah, it Mask was, like, was first. It was crazy how that he had these two massive one-two punches within yeah. a very short time frame. And then *Dumb and Dumber* was the next year. I think so. That's insane to me. Is that right? Is it? I I would argue that you could you you could make the argument that the '90s belonged to, and we were talking about this, Kevin and I, Jim Carrey, Tom Hanks, Will Smith, Nick Cage, man. See, I don't think Nick Cage. You put Nick Cage in that category. He had a he had a few big hits, but we're talking about multiple strings of movies. Will Smith, Will Smith for sure. Tom Cruise. Tell me his big '90s movies. Jerry Maguire, Mission Impossible, Magnolia. Um. Okay. I'm singing the Secret Garden because you mentioned Jerry Maguire. You. So, uh, so you, you I, right I would almost argue the that Nick Cage had a better '90s than Tom Cruise. But no, I'm not arguing. I don't. I'm arguing Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. Oh, you're talking about Tom Hanks. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I think you said Cruise. No. no oh, okay. So yeah, okay. Tom okay. Hanks, Will Smith, and uh, and Jim Carrey. I think own the '90s. Yeah. This can't be right. IMDb says that Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all came out in 1994. <laughs> what? How is that possible? What? Like, I don't know. That's insane. I mean, Spielberg had Schindler's List and Jurassic Park the same year. Keep talking amongst yourselves. Uh, Ace Ventura, February 4th. Wow. The Mask, July 29th. Wow. And Dumb and Dumber. Hold on. Come on, internet. December 16th. Wow. Wow. Dumb and Dumber was a Christmas movie? And and quick, fun little throwback fact, and I may may have already mentioned it in a past episode. The episode or the the hotel from Dumb and Dumber, the hotel that they stay in in Dumb and Dumber, is the hotel that freaked out Stephen King so much that he wrote The Shining. Oh, that's cool. So when I I went to go shoot that story there and I saw the staircase, I was like, why do I know that staircase? And it's when he like races her up the staircase. And then there is the in the bar, there is the the framed front page. From it is there? 1969. Are you and, I, I, I walked up and there are only, there were only a couple of people in the bar because I was there in the middle of the day. And I go, no way. And I look at go, we landed on the moon. Nothing. <laughs> silence. Dead silence. You remember how angry he was that that girl was talking to him in the bar? The oh, my girl. God. <laughs> that so scene is cla- <laughs> Isn't that? Remember, the you know what scene is really underrated in, in, in Dumb and Dumber is the scene with Jeff Daniels and the girl at the gas station. Like, that scene is Are just. Are those your skis? <laughs> Both of them? It's so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> All right. Next week, we're going to be playing uh, hashtag tagline blend. Something we talked about doing on the show. You're going to be arguing your favorite tagline from a movie poster or a VHS box cover. Um, So let us know your pick for hashtag tagline blend. Who, Gabe, did you come up with that? That was, that wasn't me. That was, that's 
Awesome. Maybe that was me. That's a good Should one. A good I'll one. Take credit. I have one that jumps to mind. I'm going to have to go through a lot of other ones and see if uh, if this one sticks. But one what's, jumps what's to the, mind. What's the first one that comes to your mind? Immediately. Well, I can't tell you because I may end up using it. Oh, I'm not going to use the first one that came to my mind, but I'll say it. You can't handle the tooth. I think that is still one of the greatest <laughs> taglines of all time. <laughs> that is a really great <laughs> That tag. might, I mean, honestly, that is like, that, that is genuinely brilliant. Yeah, brilliant, really good. brilliant writing. All right. Share <laughs> yours uh, with us using hashtag tagline blend on social media or you can email us at realblend at cinemablend.com we have a review hey big news we actually crossed 200 ratings uh on itunes so now let's get us over 100 written reviews i think we're at 95 at this point so this one this week comes from lisa nardone who writes i'm a new listener because of my dad my dad mark has been a fan of Kevin's since his first appearance on the Sports Junkies. He had mentioned Kevin's additional passion for movies to me throughout the last three years because I studied film in college and I have a cinephile heart. About a week ago, Dad told me about your interview with Jamie Lee Curtis, and I finally looked up this podcast to hear if the infamous Kevin would live up to his name. Five days and 13 episodes later, I think it's safe to say that he did. Cheers to the entire Mm. Blend team and your infectious charisma with each other. Thanks to all of you for giving Dad and I another thing to have in common, because talking hockey isn't exactly my forte. (laughs) Also, I hope Gabe will be lenient and allow another Quentin interview when film number 10 comes out. (laughs) I know it'll be a tight fit. (laughs) That's awesome. Great review. Thank you so much to, I lost your name, to Lisa Nardone. This, this, This was not planned, but I have to say this because this, you just transitioned it perfectly. Thank Our you. Quentin Tarantino interview yes. on Cinema Blend's YouTube channel. Yes. Literally, as we're recording this, just crossed 100,000 views. Oh, my God. So we, we are at 100,096 reviews. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, views. Yeah, How many reviews. times can your mom watch the damn two-hour interview? Well, for God's sake. I, I went to it the other day, and I was like, we're getting close to 100,000 views. I'm like, I, so I, I've actually been checking it, like, for the past couple of days to see if it was going to cross it. And it literally just happened, like like just now, as we're sitting every morning, here. Every morning, every evening, the McCarthy's sit down. What do you want to watch tonight, Joe? How about we listen to Kevin's interview one more time? Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it, that's a lot of people, man. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that's a hundred thousand people. So I just wanted. I mean, I, I listen. I thank you to anybody who listens to our show, but that's insane. So thank have you guys? Have you gone into the comments? Like, I'm always nervous, especially if it's something I really care about. I'm always nervous to go in the comment section because I don't want people to say mean things about something I care about. Um, but but have the comments been fairly kind? Oh, uh, I checked out those comments. I haven't looked since we've gotten that close, but the comments for that interview are, are very positive. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one was over the top. Um, yeah, it's nice. But I'm with you. I generally don't want to go down to the comment section. So, uh, so send us a review, and we will read it on the show, like we did with this most recent one. Uh, next week, we'll be back uh, with a full-on show with a uh, an interview. I hope that we're trying to lock down for this week. Um, I don't want to tease what it is just yet because it hasn't happened. And as Kevin likes to use hashtag. If it happens, you if can follow happens. all of us on social media. Hashtag Scorsese. At Kevin McCarthy TV and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Drop us a review on iTunes uh, and tune in next week when we will be back reviewing the latest films uh, featuring a fun interview and no longer talking about the Oscars. Thank God. So until next week. But we are doing an entire segment next week on 1917. Dunkirk. Thank you. Dunkirk. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.